Hey guys, how you doing today? I'm super glad to have you back on the How Do You Health podcast. My name is Allison and today we have episode 10. Holy crap, guys. That means we've been doing this for 10 weeks. 10 podcasts, 10 weeks. Thank you so much for listening and as always, Please make sure to rate, review, subscribe to the show, share it with friends, family, anyone you think might benefit from anything we're talking about here, uh, this movement toward uh, health and preventive care rather than sick care. Um, it, It really is a grassroots movement, and you guys are so awesome for listening to this, but we need to keep spreading the word that getting a pill to... try to heal things is not the only way to go about living. Getting a pill to cover up issues that are already far too deep um, sucks and it should be only used as a last resort, not our standard of care. Uh, At MSW Lounge, we want to make sure that we are putting people on the track to success with long-term health before it turns into something that is an issue. So that in mind, Please, again, share the show, rate and review, especially on iTunes, subscribe to us on SoundCloud. All of those things help us to reach more people and be listed on iTunes so that more people can find us and learn these things that we're sharing with y'all. And uh, so that being said, we do record this as a Facebook Live and Instagram Live every single week when we are recording the audio for this. Uh, We record it in our lounge and or our yoga studio here in Westlake Hills, Texas, Uh, but I just wanted to share one of our comments today on our very first Facebook Live when we first started the show on episode one. Isaac uh, Garcia commented while we were filming saying, I love it. Can't wait to see the growth and progression of this podcast. I will be watching along the way. Congrats, guys. Isaac, thank you so much for taking the time to do that and review, and uh, we're so happy to have you watching. Thank you for tuning in couple of quick announcements before I get to our speaker for the day. Um, well, you know, interviewee, not necessarily a speaker. It's just him and John talking. But we are brought to you, as always, by Slenderella, the fat-burning liver detoxing shot. The cool thing about this shot is it's made with all-natural, FDA-approved vitamins and minerals to help detox the liver, which allows the body to basically kind of empty out the fat cells from the inflammatory compounds they tend to hold, which results in weight loss. It was designed as a liver detox first and foremost with quality in mind and natural ingredients in mind, and the side effects turned out that most people experience weight loss on it. So that's pretty freaking cool. I love it. I take it weekly. Um, It is the easiest way for you to take your vitamins via a shot or an IV, and we could get a lot of great great compliments on it. Uh, So Slenderella, we are also brought to you by Flabs to Fitness, an online health and wellness resource uh, for personal training, nutrition coaching, and brand management for health companies. We also specialize in workouts you can do anywhere in 20 minutes. Last but not least, we are brought to you today by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley creates superfood bars and grass-fed beef sticks that are 100% organic They are naturally fermented and they also are keto-friendly, paleo-friendly, 
yada yada, all of those things, gluten-free, soy-free, preservative-free, sugar-free, basically free of all the crap but still delicious, and I love them. And through the end of November 2017, you can use the code FLABS2FITNESS, all one word, F-L-A-B-S-T-O-F-I-T-N-E-S-S, at checkout on paleovalley.com, and you will save 20% on anything you buy on their store. Support a small business that is sourcing things well and trying to change health by the way we snack. Paleovalley.com, use the code FLABS2FITNESS, and save 20%. All right, guys, today our guest is Dr. Joshua Gunn from Ethos Labs. Ethos Labs has created this urinalysis test that is super interesting, and him and John get into it on the podcast, so I won't go into too much detail now, but basically they test the neurotransmitter activity of the brain, which means they test the different hormones that control brain activity and function and are trying to develop a method and are being pretty successful at it so far with predicting diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia and things like that. So what they're doing is groundbreaking and Jonathan is actually one of the practitioners implementing it with his clients here at MSW Lounge and it's super cool to watch the results and how um, blood tests actually are matching up with the results we're getting on the neurotransmitter tests. So uh, definitely listen to what ethos labs is up to on this podcast we think this is truly the future of uh healthcare, um and changing it from sick care to health care so without further ado here is jonathan and dr gunn all right hi everyone i am jonathan mendoza with msw lounge here in beautiful westlake hills in austin texas and i have a very special guest with me today the wonderful dr joshua gunn and uh, he is going to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about what he is and, and what he does and what he is uh, bringing to the world of functional medicine. Dr. Gunn, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for, for having me. I'm excited to chat. Um, so just as a little bit of background, uh, I'm actually a, a PhD, so I'm not a practicing physician, but I'm a, a biochemist uh, and uh, I'm the chief scientific officer at Ethos Research and Development, which is a, a laboratory-based uh, research and development company that uh, explores the underlying biochemistry of chronic disease. So we, uh, we do a lot of biomarker research into chronic pain uh, and addiction uh, and related disorders, trying to identify uh, underlying biochemistry of, of disease states uh, that, can be, um, that can be rectified with uh, you know, non-prescription type therapies. So uh, we're located out in the Midwest, beautiful Midwest. We're probably a little cooler out here than, than where you're sitting right now, but uh, uh, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, with that PhD, he has a very knowledgeable background. Uh, your audio there, sorry, Jonathan. Yes, can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we're live, so we got a little bit of a connection issue. We're good now. Let's see. Sorry, I've lost lost your audio. Uh, okay. Do we need to turn this off? No, that okay. shouldn't be interfering. All right. Let me know when you can hear me again. Dang. Okay. Um, give me one second here. What about now? Yeah, I got you now. Okay, perfect. All right, I think we fixed it. Okay. So, um, so with that being said, we have Dr. Gunn on here. His PhD allows him to be able to do the research behind a lot of the uh, therapies that we implement here at Mendoza Sports and Wellness MSW Lounge. 
anyone who comes into our clinic and our lounge here will see a big menu that has a bunch of vitamins that uh, can pertain to our Slenderella shot, which is our weight loss, liver detox. It has uh, things like uh, biotin and B5 and B12. But the, the thing about it is people are coming in here wanting vitamin shots. They want vitamin IVs, right? They want it because they are told they need it for anemia or they want to feel more energy. They want a stress relief. But Dr. Gunn has developed a, a, a test that actually can check for nutritional deficiencies in relationship to a lot of common health issues. And so um, that's the, the urinalysis test that we're going to talk about here. But um, Dr. Gunn has a very big background in biochemistry as well as physiology. And, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about some simple things like uh, biomarkers. First of all, what are biomarkers and pertaining to the laboratory testing that you've developed? Yeah, great question. I think the, the term gets thrown around a lot and uh, I think a lot of the time we, we sort of forget to go back and clarify what we're talking about. So a biomarker uh, in its simplest form is anything that can be objectively measured that can indicate a state of health or wellness or disease uh, or response to a medication. So a simple biomarker would be something like temperature or, or blood pressure. Those are things that can be objectively measured. The biomarkers that we focus on at the laboratory uh, are a little more complex uh, in that they uh, identify aberrant pathways of biochemistry that you may have in your body as a result, again, of, of disease or genetics or lifestyle, but it allows us to identify where you may have bottlenecks in metabolism or bottlenecks in inflammatory pathways, things that can be tackled uh, and treated directly. So the biomarker itself would be the, the objective reading that we can identify in the lab in one of your uh, body fluids, whether it be urine or, or blood or saliva. Okay, so uh, just as a, a PSA to all of our listeners and everything, Oh, they got the audio thing going again. Okay. Um, just as a PSA to our listeners, we are going to go a little in depth. Oh, again at that end, John. Oh, no. Okay. Um, let's see what we can do here. I don't know on our end. You're back. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can. Yeah, sorry. Okay. I'm All right, good. All right. I don't know what's going on with that, so we'll see what we can fix. Allison, we'll look into it. Um, sure. So we're going to get into a little in depth as far as some of the uh, physiology behind vitamins. I know for some of our biohacker listeners, they're really gonna enjoy this. For people who don't know anything about this, we're gonna explain in ways that you can understand from a very basic level. So biomarkers, essentially, I would probably, I would probably say that in the future, it will be the future of laboratory testing. And when it comes to medicine and health and wellness, genetic testing is very important because not only will you be able to pick up um, issues in the blood work currently with the condition, but you might be able to pick up something that might happen in the future, which would really lead into preventative medicine. Would you not agree, Dr. Gunn? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And genetics is, is certainly the foundation of, of a lot of the biomarker work that, that we're already seeing uh, in fields like oncology. And, and we'll certainly see that, that grow over time. Um, just as importantly as the genetic-based markers, I think that the one limitation of genetic-based genetic markers is whilst they provide valuable information, they don't provide you necessarily with new treatment options because they're our genetics. Um, and they're only so malleable. You know, we can treat symptoms of a genetic disorder, but we can't tackle the root cause. Uh, whereas, say, a biomarker, for example, that identifies a cellular B12 deficiency, you can go in head on and tackle that with, with B12 therapy and change the course of disease. So um, whilst genetics does explain a lot, uh, I think that you know payers and insurance companies and things like that want to see biomarkers that give you new ways to treat patients for, for better outcomes. Correct, correct. And I think right now the research is showing that we're, we're actually on the forefront 
And when I say we are Ethos Laboratories, Dr. Gunn, myself, we're on the forefront of, of trying to create um, new pathways for the future treatments of, of, of all these health conditions. So like, for example, B12 has been commonly known to be prescribed for anemia. And nowadays people take B12 because it helps with energy levels. We know that, right? They're in their energy drinks. But, you know, B12 can actually increase serotonin levels in the body. And it's interesting because we apply B12 here in MSW Lounge for things like depression. And Dr. Gunn has a biomarker test to check to see if those serotonin levels are actually being increased from things like B12 or if there's a deficiency in something like another vitamin, could that be the cause for why this person's depressed? And it's, it's really, it's a breakthrough in a sense that it's becoming more mainstream. You talked about insurance carriers and getting approved. Insurance is just now catching up to this. But as practitioners have known for a while, there are many, many benefits from vitamin uh, nutritional supplementation. And Dr. Gunn will be the first one to tell you that. Yeah, for sure. There absolutely are. And, and it is unfortunate in the landscape of, of the insured world uh, and insured patients that, that more of this isn't covered, especially when there are now well accepted objective measures to identify patients who, who need it. I mean, that's personalized medicine, right? That's, that's what we all claim to be moving towards. Yet the most simplistic form of it uh, outside of a good diet uh, is something that's not currently, uh, you know, paid for in, in, in a sense. So, yeah. And as far as, you know, serotonin, you know, a, a lot of time we get caught up in talking about neurotransmitters and we like to complicate them as 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 uh, it's brain chemistry. It's really complex and, and it certainly is. But we forget that the origin, you know, where we get neurotransmitters is from dietary protein. You know, serotonin comes from tryptophan. If we yep. don't eat high quality proteins that contain tryptophan, uh, we can't we can't absorb it into our systemic circulation and it can't be taken up into the central nervous system. So, you know, we see patients all the time that have gastrointestinal issues or chronic chronic alcoholism or Crohn's or IBS and their protein malabsorption is so significant that they don't have the precursors to make the brain chemicals that make us feel good. So, so while it's a brain chemical, it's very much a lifestyle and gastrointestinal um, related disorder as well. So you kind of got to start thinking about things again in a systems approach as opposed to uh, an isolated, you know, uh, a part of our part of our makeup. I, I agree completely, and I'm I'm glad you brought up gastrointestinal uh, GI work because you have the idea that if if GI is so important, uh, we consider it our second brain. It's because uh, the gastro tract in most people's body will produce more serotonin than your brain will. So if you think about what you said about the protein, most people will eat protein, a meat protein or maybe a vegetable protein. And if their gut is going to absorb those nutrients, their gut has to be healthy enough to absorb it. And then you take it one step further, they have to be able to convert that tryptophan over to serotonin. But what you're now looking at with a test like Dr. Gunn's developed is if you have a deficiency in a vitamin, it could explain why maybe that person is depressed because now you can check to see if a vitamin deficiency will lead to depression. There's no such thing as a deficiency in Prozac or deficiency in Zoloft or an antidepressant, but there are deficiencies in vitamins that could explain depression, and that's exactly what your test does. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. So, you know, we, we tend to think about vitamins for their, um, you know, maybe their frontline benefits, which we read about, uh, you know, in various articles, but we, we tend to overlook the fact that they play such a vital role as cofactors in hundreds and hundreds of reactions in the body that lead to uh, you know, the development of things like serotonin, um, something like vitamin B6, for example. You know, we don't hear about B6 deficiency in the Western world or in developed countries, but the number of patients we see 
that have a subclinical or a severe deficiency in B6 is very, very significant. And you talk about the role that B6 plays in various biochemical reactions, you start to see very quickly why people develop the symptomologies they do, uh, especially when that type of deficiency is not being looked for mainstream. Right. And I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned B6 and we're talking about mental health. We were talking about depression. Well, you found a connection that there's vitamin deficiencies like B6 deficiency that could be linked to things like possible precursors to schizophrenia, right? Like things like that, right? Yeah, so we, we, we focus a lot on systemic inflammation and obviously a lot of the B vitamins play roles as cofactors along with things like magnesium uh, in, in a lot of those pathways. And we've identified within the, within the chronic pain, which is obviously a very large population, uh, we've identified certain types of systemic inflammation and most of your listeners probably realise by now it's been a buzzword for several years, but systemic or silent inflammation is not the inflammation we associate with a, a swollen elbow or knee. Uh, but it's more a low-lying inflammation that drives the development of chronic disease over time. Um, and that's largely because of the inflammatory signaling, but also the effect that has on various pathways downstream. Um, and we've identified the, the accumulation of several neurotoxic compounds that do accumulate both systemically and in the brain uh, when you either have uh, gastrointestinal-mediated inflammation or certain B vitamin deficiencies. And so when you start to think about it in the context of something as simple as a bad diet or, or GI absorption issues can lead to the development of depression and, and potentially other mental health issues over time, you start to realize just how important, uh, you know, introduction of those, of those vitamins and, and cofactors are. So right. that definitely is something that we're working on and we have been for, uh, for several years now and it's starting to appear more and more in the literature. So I think you'll hear, you'll hear more about it over time. Right. No, and I agree. And it's funny you bring up the word inflammation and inflammation systemically can lead to all kinds of things. Right. We think about uh, inflammation like maybe a hive or something on our skin. Right. Or maybe inflammation of uh, the bowel, like inflammatory bowel disease. Right. Things like that as well. But when you look at all disease, all health conditions, the root cause of it is going to be from stress. And I always try to tell people, think about stress as equal to inflammation. So if there's inflammation building somewhere in the body, it's like a little campfire that's burning. And genetics and the environment are going to be the gasoline that's poured on the fire that allows it to really exacerbate and turn into something new. So what I think is interesting with your test, and you talk about nutritional issues, could it be that things like schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cognitive decline uh, could be thought of as inflammatory responses in the body from our environment and our genetics? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the the inflammatory component to a lot of the diseases and disorders that you just mentioned is, is becoming very well recognized. I think what we're trying to nail down in a lot of the a lot of cases is the mechanistic details. You know, what what inflammatory mediators, um, you know, we've been focused on things like pro-inflammatory cytokines for a long time and the signaling molecules. And I think what we're starting to realize is that that's certainly part of the inflammatory soup uh, that, that generates a lot of these disorders. Um, but it's the accumulation of various byproducts over time that wedge themselves in the brain or wedge themselves and, and deregulate certain uh, pathways that, that actually determine whether your inflammation will manifest as type 2 diabetes or Parkinson's disease or schizophrenia or bipolar, for example. Um, and, and because we know that this type of systemic inflammation exists in all of us to some degree, um, you know, I think it is very well accepted now that um, we don't see it until it has symptoms and somebody gives those symptoms a name and then that's the disorder we have. And, and what we do with that disorder really depends then on, well, which drugs are approved for the name that I've got now, right? And so 
uh, th this whole time we sort of refused to to address the root cause of the inflammation, which again it brings us back to things like diet, lifestyle, gastrointestinal health, and obviously the microbiome is going to be, I think, the next big frontier in 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 uh, in the sense that a lot of the inflammation I think will be determined to originate from you know dysbiosis of the gut uh, due to you know due to what we eat uh, and and what we take in the way of medication. So the short answer is yes. Uh, and, and there are very few diseases where systemic inflammation doesn't play a central role, at least in, in the development and or worsening of, of those disorders. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, you mentioned something very interesting, diabetes. You actually threw diabetes in there with schizophrenia and bipolar and depression and all that. Um, is diabetes an inflammation? Is that a disease, like an inflammatory disease? Yeah, type 2 diabetes, is, it's long been known that there's a low-grade low low-lying systemic inflammatory disorder in type 2 diabetics, and it's always sort of been, is it cause or effect? You know, is it the, is it the systemic inflammation that drives the development of deregulated insulin sense signaling, or is it vice versa? Is it the diabetes that brings on the inflammation? Uh, and and, and the, more that, the more that it's studied, the more you realize that the inflammation has been there uh, and outdates the diagnosis. And there's things like kynurenine metabolites, like xanthorenic acid, which accumulate when we have B6 deficiency, um, and when you have a B6 deficiency, xanthorenic acid accumulates in your system. Well, it just so happens that uh, xanthorenic acid binds uh, to, uh, to insulin and forms a complex that renders insulin pharmacologically inactive. And so that drives the development of, um, of, of type 2 diabetes. So uh, it's, it's fascinating work and it's still, you know, very early stage from a clinical application standpoint. But um, but yeah, absolutely. There, there is, there is certainly an inflammatory component to type two diabetes, as opposed to type one. But yeah, right. on type two. Now, now, what's interesting about it too is that you were using some big, big words right there for some of our listeners right now. I'm, I'm just going to break this down a little bit more. So, going back to the question of is diabetes an inflammatory disease? The, the answer, the short answer is yes. The long answer is it's coming from many different sources. The systemic inflammation, as we know, will affect every aspect of diabetes, whether it's the liver, the kidneys, the brain, and all that as well. But what I'm finding a lot with uh, diabetes and inflammation, especially insulin, is that um, it can affect us in many different ways. And what you're telling me now is that inflammatory signals like the ones you mentioned could be precursors into a, like a bigger picture of saying, okay, your lifestyle right now is causing you to eventually lead down this path of inflammation, which could either affect the brain, could affect the liver or kidneys. We don't know at this point, but you're saying biomarker testing is a way to look at preventative aspect because regular blood work just checks if you're a diabetic at that moment, right? Yeah, sorry, I just lost you. Can you hear me at that end? Yeah, I can hear you again. So what you're looking at now is regular blood work will look at, at if you're a diabetes at that moment. But now what you're looking at biomarkers, especially ones uh, you know related to the brain and the gut, you're telling me now that I could almost do this urinalysis check and see if you will eventually become a diabetic. And that might lead to inflammation of not only the kidneys and liver and, and, and nerves, but maybe even the brain as well. That's what biomarkers do. Yeah, and I think that's exactly. And I think that's the most exciting aspect of of these functional biomarkers as opposed to a biomarker that confirms a diagnosis is that if we know systemic inflammation is going to drive the development of chronic disease A, B, C, D, or E, uh, and that's very well documented and we and we have good biomarkers to identify the level of inflammation in you at whatever age or whatever life stage you're in, uh, and you're determined to have elevated levels of, of these inflammatory markers, then you can act on it now. 
Um, you don't have to wait until your symptoms are given a name 20 years from now. And I think that's, I mean, that's the most exciting aspect from, from, from our point of view um, in that, that this can be done uh, at any time and we can always improve. If I identify a low-lying B6 deficiency now, how easy is that to treat compared to allowing all of those, those bad things to accumulate over time as a result of the B6 deficiency? Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, it's preventative medicine at its finest because a lot of the clients that come in here, when we get clients that are age 30 to 50 to 60, right, and some of even the 60-year-olds still have parents that are older, and they, uh, you know, they have diabetes or they have COPD, they have, you know, maybe cognitive decline. They tell me, I don't want to end up like my parents, but I don't want to take their meds. Like, what do I take that's a natural form? But with most many people, they want a cause and effect. They want to say, what's causing this? What's the main root cause and issue and how can we treat it? And so you're now being able to pick up like possibly that the food and the protein and the meat that you're eating, the bread, it might be causing inflammation of your brain, just throwing off your insulin. And that might be something that's a red flag to say, hey, you're not getting affected with your blood sugar, with your liver and your kidneys. All this stuff is inflaming your brain and it could explain why you're having cognitive decline with diabetes and maybe explain why there's a type three diabetes being developed as well, right? And, and researched. Exactly, exactly. And you know, I think that's that's, from a selfish point of view, that's one of the most frustrating things about being a lab guy is that I see patient reports day in, day out where, you know, I, I, I essentially, I, I wish I knew more about that patient. I'm looking at their biomarker profile and wondering if they're already symptomatic uh, or if this is such an early stage identification that there's something that can be done about it. And obviously as the laboratory that's simply reporting results, you know, I never really know that. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, if it can be identified early and personalized in the sense that it can be treated. Again, going back to the genetic thing, genetic is personalized. It's our, it's our genetic makeup. But if, if, if it can be directly treated to modulate the course of disease at an early stage, that's truly, truly personalized and preventative medicine. Right. I agree completely. Now, when, since you brought that up, I, wanna, I know I spoke to you last month about the idea that you had a test that was run by a doctor and he was running this test repeatedly, your test on him and there was these inflammatory markers that you're talking about right now that were really, really high on this patient in particular. And I think you said you even called the doctor to talk about this with ever, without even ever looking at the patient's file or anything. You called the doctor because you had a question about it, correct? Yeah, correct. So uh, I'll keep as long as I can. It's a biomarker that has got a lot of attention in recent years because it's been linked to mental health. And when this neurotoxin builds up to significant levels, it's been linked to even self-harm, risk of self-harm and, and suicide attempt. Um, but obviously the milder forms of it are depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, and so on. So, you know, as, as, as a lab guy, again, I'm always looking at reports and I, I noticed several patients, but one in particular that had levels of this neurotoxic compound um, that were, you know, uh, higher than I'd ever seen before. Uh, and I actually had a call scheduled with the provider who wanted to learn more about this test and more about the numbers he was looking at and how he could use them to, to help patients. And so uh, I actually raised the point and said, you know, obviously I don't know anything about your patients or this patient, but I did want to bring to attention this result because of the research that's being done around this marker. Uh, and, and in his words, I mean, it, basically we just described that patient. I mean, that's what she was struggling with uh, and had for many, many years. And you know, now he's looking at an objective measure of, of depression and, and risk of self-harm. And of course, his next question is, what do I do about it? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a lab guy. I, I'd love to be able to, to, to help you there. And, and certainly there are things that I can point him toward. But yeah, so it's, it's fascinating when you can 
when you can match up, uh, you know, lab reports that you know play a role in health with specific symptoms that, that a patient is experiencing, you know, here and now. Right, right. But what what's also funny about this is that you can actually apply this on different levels, right? Like it's not just mental health. We keep talking about that. We've talked about gut. I mean, what about pain? Are, are these the same types of inflammation markers you'll see in pain patients with chronic pain issues? Yeah, absolutely. And and you start to look at some of these disorders with relation to, you know, the, the percentage of patients that have disease A also suffer with disease B. And, and why is it that a lot of people with Crohn's also have, you know, so you start to realize that so much of this is linked because a lot of the inflammatory markers and oxidative stress markers and micronutrient deficiencies and neurotransmitter abnormalities that, that, that result in the, 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 the appearance of disease A are also driving the development of disease B simultaneously. And so, yeah, we see very, very similar central inflammatory patterns in chronic pain patients. Um, you know, those inflammatory, those inflammatory pathways are deregulated to the point where they're manifesting as, as chronic pain or centralized pain. You know, those patients that no longer have an injury or no longer have physical effects of the trauma, but their pain is still there. Um, and, and, you know, we refer to that as centralized pain or, or pain in the brain because the patient still feels pain, even though an MRI or an X-ray or any sort of test would say, I don't know why you're in pain. It's, it's this type of inflammatory signaling beneath the surface that's driving that memory, you know, our limbic system, you know, it's, it's a memory system. And, uh, and, and when, we, when we have and suffer from systemic inflammation, it can obviously deregulate a lot of, a lot of systems in our body uh, and chronic pain is one. But, but again, everything else we've mentioned uh, are also manifestations of those same, same deregulated pathways. Right. And I, I think that with pain signals, it's, the way that we treat pain, because I used to be in the pain world, and I say the pain world because that's a whole other realm that I honestly don't want to go back to. But um, if you look at the receptors in the brain, it's very hard to try to lower those pain pills from being attracted to those receptors in the body. And so things like opioids are very much promoted as pain relievers. But the funny thing about it is opioids are not going to relieve inflammation, right? They just numb the pain, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say that they're, uh, I mean, obviously they're the cornerstone of, of pain treatment as we know it in recent decades, uh, but all they're doing is simply telling that part of your brain that you don't care about the pain. I mean, that's, that, that's all opioids are doing. Um, if you come one step down and look at something like an NSAID, uh, an anti-inflammatory, over-the-counter anti-inflammatory, you know, it is at least having some sort of anti-inflammatory effect versus an opiate that's just telling your brain, don't worry about the pain, you don't feel it. Uh, but certainly, uh, it, yeah, you, you, you're dead on. It's not, um, it's not treating or addressing the root cause of the pain in any sense of the word. And I think that's, I think that's part of the reason why there's such a push now for more um, novel pain research, because we're realizing that a lot of these patients, they're suffering from chronic pain, but there are there are biochemical reasons that can be identified and explained as to why they're in pain. And if we can dig beneath the surface and realize that a patient with fibromyalgia may have a coenzyme Q10 deficiency, a cellular B12 deficiency, a B6 deficiency, a thiamine deficiency, and you treat all four of those and now the fibro has gone away, you know, I think we need to get away from giving everything a name and looking at the biochemical level and saying, well, let's normalize your biochemistry and get you looking like a person that doesn't have pain and let's see where you're at then and, and move that way as opposed to simply, uh, you know, uh, taking the, the Band-Aid approach and, and, and covering symptoms, which, again, uh, addressing symptoms is important from a quality of life standpoint. But there's a lot of things we could be doing simultaneously. I, I agree completely. So 
in short, to answer the question about the pain inflammation, I, I, I'm going to rephrase the question. Can you take vitamins in order to help with pain relief? Absolutely. I mean, there are a ton of studies looking at the analgesic effects of methylcobalamin, B12, uh, B6 in inflammatory disorders like arthritis and osteoarthritis, uh, magnesium. I mean, there's more peer-reviewed papers looking at, you know, the analgesic effects of magnesium for things like cluster headaches and migraines. Um, absolutely. People without deficiencies may benefit from those, but the people that are really going to benefit the most from a pain relief standpoint are the ones that actually are deficient or that actually need those compounds, which, you know, which is why we're trying to identify those folks with, with lab tests. I, that, that's, I'm glad you said this because from a clinical standpoint, I know you're the behind the scenes doing the research, telling everyone, hey, this is what we're finding with your subjects and your patients. But from a clinical standpoint, doctors are not taught nutrition. They're not taught about inflammatory markers in a sense of relating it to nutritional deficiencies. So how would you go about talking to a family doctor and go in there and keep in mind, they have pharmaceutical reps coming by telling them you need to prescribe this new pain med. You need to prescribe this. You're going to go in there and say, no, you need to prescribe vitamins for your pain patients. What do you think? What kind of look are you going to get from those doctors? Yeah, well, I mean, we've been at this for a few years now, and it's it's a great question uh, because if you go to some of the specialists who are, who are so focused in, in their trade and they're so good at their trade, this is going to come out of left field. Um, and, you know, obviously some are hesitant. Um, some, you know, don't have the time to deal with it. And as a result, they'll maybe push it down to, uh, to be driven by their mid-levels, which is an awesome result because it's really something that the mid-levels can sink their teeth into and uh, and, and drive the program. But yeah, initially, uh, when you're talking about uh, chronic pain disorders, um, this is not a this is not something that uh, that is expected uh, as far as suggestions on how else to treat pain. Hey, but now's the time to do it. I mean, the problems we're experiencing with uh, you know with the opioid crisis and simultaneously the deficiencies that we're seeing running rampant in this patient population, uh, it's the perfect time to to get out there. And it may take a while for the message to be fully accepted, but we're up for the task. That's right. And, and that's it. We're, we're fighting, in my mind, an uphill battle because it's been so institutionalized in American healthcare systems that there's a pill for that. And there's a, a way to, to, to help with that symptom. But it's rare that you have someone who says, I'm going to try to reverse or fix this issue. And at this point right now, we have nutritional research that shows that B vitamins, and antioxidants and amino acids can help lower pain. We have research that shows that it can help lower inflammation in the brain that could help with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. We have research that shows it can help reverse diabetes. It could help lower cholesterol. These are the power of vitamins. And what you're saying right now is vitamins basically need to be treated as medicine nowadays, right? Yeah, correct. Especially in those patients who are able to uh, obtain the ability to have a test done to identify a true deficiency. Um, you know, the, the, the number of people that need some form of vitamin is, is very, very significant in this population. Again, due to our diet, due to the way in which we process food. A lot of people overeat, but, uh, but an awful lot of people are undernourished. Uh, and, and they're calorie rich and they're micronutrient poor. Uh, and so most people can benefit. But again, you know, some of the more rarer deficiencies or some of the deficiencies that might be induced or precipitated by the prescription meds they're taking. That's the other thing. You know, you talk about B12. We used to think it was the elderly and vegans. They're the only people that have a B12 deficiency. Now you realize that, well, anyone that takes a medication for acid reflux, omeprazole, Zantac, 
uh, they precipitate a B12 deficiency. Anyone that takes metformin for type 2 diabetes, that uh -huh. precipitates a B12 deficiency. Now, all of a sudden, you, you, you're talking about half the population. So, uh, yes, they absolutely do. And, and our type of test we envision as being a workup um, at, at an initial consult to say, look, we're going to identify potentially simple things to treat that aren't invasive, that aren't addictive, that we can get you tomorrow uh, if you need it. And if you don't need it, then we'll move on to whatever's next. But let's at least rule out the simple stuff that we could take care of uh, overnight. That's that's awesome. I mean, it, it is a very it seems complex because once you start talking about neurotransmitters and the relationship to the gut and all this. But the, the truth of the matter is that you said it so yourself. Why not start with something as simple as could a vitamin help you or in any which way possible, whether it's lowering pain or not? And from a clinical standpoint, you talk to doctors. This is basically I would I know exactly how you promote it. You tell a doctor you won't have to prescribe another opioid because this is going to be in place of it. The side effects are going to be minimum. The benefits are going to be huge and your patients are going to actually have a better quality of life. And so when you start talking about nutraceuticals, supplements, nowadays you have very powerful ones that should be looked at as medicine, not the ones from 20, 30 years ago, but ones nowadays that are so active and so potent that you could literally give a vitamin to someone and you're going to detoxify their liver and their brain, correct? Correct. Yeah, correct. And, and you know, it's, um, yeah, so first of all, you, you made a couple of great points. So the pharmaceutical grade nutraceuticals that, that we have available to us now at a slightly higher cost than what you probably find in your Walgreens or your CVS, um, they are. I mean, they, 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 they are, they should be treated as, as, as medicine because, again, they originate from food, which is our medicine, right? Let's supposed to be our medicine. Right. Um, but, but just going back to your point on, on physicians and the conversations I have daily, you know, one of the things I think the, the media gets a little caught up in is, is the fact that this opioid crisis has been driven by doctors who want to prescribe. I can tell you that the talk track around not needing to potentially prescribe another opiate because of this program, that resonates. Doctors are sick of only having their prescription pad, but they also know that they need to help their patients. So when you come to them with a novel program that says, hey, look, this is an adjunct. This is not going to make everybody's pain disappear 100%. But if we can get this patient feeling 30% better overnight, maybe they get out of bed a little earlier tomorrow. Maybe they get moving tomorrow. Maybe they're motivated to feel a little better, maybe eat a little better, drink some water. You know, the lifestyles that a lot of these patients live is, is subpar. And so they're, they're all about it. It's just not something they're familiar with because of the point you made earlier about foundational training and, uh, and nutrition not really being a big, a big component there. Right. And that one thing I've learned, people aren't stupid. People want to know this. They want options. But if their doctor were to tell them, hey, you're a diabetic and you have neuropathy, instead of giving you something for nerve pain that might cause you to be psychotic after a few days, why don't I give you a B12 injection? This will lower the inflammation and allow you to have circulation in your foot. If doctors were to be able to tell that to other patients, I guarantee you they'll do a B12 shot over a $400 prescription that's not covered by their insurance. So, I mean, it's, it's a very simple approach, but it's almost like, why aren't we doing this right now, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And patients are, patients are very well, they're well learned. I mean, they're well read. Uh, you know, they like to know what's, what's available to them. And, and due to, you know, the internet, a lot of them do, do have that, that knowledge. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, again, I think the big thing about a, a lab test that precipitates a, a nutraceutical uh, therapy or recommendation the big thing about a lab test is that it can help doctors drive compliance in their patients. If a doctor says to every patient they see, take fish oil, take vitamin D uh, because you should, 
which is true, right? But how many times will they take it before they fall off the wagon? Whereas if you show them a report that says you have a severe B12 deficiency at the cellular level and you're suffering with neuropathic pain, I think there's a link here. They can see a result on a report with their name on the report. They're more likely to go out and take the recommended therapy because they're going to want to see a follow-up test to make sure that their numbers are normalizing, hopefully as their pain symptoms improve. That's what you are proving that vitamins have evidence-based research behind them. And so no longer can all those people say, there's no research behind vitamins, blah, blah, blah. You're, you have it. You've proved it. You have it. I'm putting in clinical applications today, and you can basically tell people, here's how we're going to lower inflammation. Here's the recommended treatment, and then we will track it to show you that the levels are changing. We're lowering those markers in your brain and in your body. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that that's one of the things that, you know, when our, when our, when our clients or physicians recommend therapies because of a deficiency, you know, we have to give them the best resources to recommend the best products because guess what? We're going to do a follow-up test. And if that marker hasn't normalized, then that patient and the client is going to say, you know, what, what, what's going on here? So, you know, the fact that we do sequential tests on patients and we can see that when you give someone N-acetylcysteine, their glutathione status marker normalizes. When you give someone P5P, their B6 status normalizes. That's what patients want to see. That's what doctors want to see. And, and again, you know, the other half of it is hopefully along that path of improvement, their symptoms are also getting better. And, you know, I tell, I tell clients all the time, if you find a B12 deficiency in someone or a B6 deficiency or a glutathione deficiency or whatever it may be, and that patient is not overly symptomatic uh, in line with that deficiency, that may mean that you've caught it early. That's still a good result because I can tell you if that patient's got pain now, and you let that go untreated, their pain's only going to get worse. So if you can catch this stuff early and treat it, it may not eliminate their pain tomorrow, but you've, you've ensured that you've, you've ruled that out as being a contributing or worsening factor later on in life. Yeah. Now, I, all of this right here is absolutely wonderful information because this is going to open someone's mind to the idea that maybe I should look at food and vitamins as a form of medicine. I've never thought of that before that way, but maybe there's something to it. But as our time's running short, and you mentioned things like glutathione and N-acetylcysteine, that's going to get a little more in-depth. And before we get into that, I'd like to probably put a pause on this. But I would love to have Dr. Gunn on again. Maybe we can get a little more in-depth into antioxidants and you know how we actually directly can lower inflammation through nutraceuticals. But um, you know, Dr. Gunn, is there anything else you'd like to add at this time? No, look, I think I think you and I could probably geek out all afternoon, and I know that uh, I know we don't have time, but maybe you know if we do get a chance to circle back to it, I'd, I'd love to uh, uh, I'd love to show you some of the, the the markers and the lab reports that we're talking about, and maybe your listeners can can get an idea of, of what this stuff actually you know what this looks like and uh, how it could guide their you know their treatment if they came to see someone like you that you know that that is very well uh, uh, very well versed in this stuff. But um, but no, well I'll look forward to our next conversation. But I think uh, I think that's that's enough. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the laboratory is Ethos Laboratory. Dr. Joshua Gunn, um, I do this laboratory testing here in Austin, Texas. So if you're around these parts, Central Texas, whatever, come and see me. Um, if not, I'm sure you can call Ethos Laboratories, find them online, and they can probably connect you with the provider in your area. They actually can get this tested. And from what I understand, it looks like insurance is covering it. Um, there are cash options, but most importantly, it's a test that you need to look at because it's going to open up 
a bigger picture than what you might not be told or what might not be seen in your everyday clinical uh, visits. So uh, I just want to thank Dr. Gunn so, so very much for coming on board and, and spending the time with us and uh, look for maybe a part two uh, podcast with Dr. Gunn sometime in the near future. Absolutely. We'd love to. Thank you very much for, uh, for having me this afternoon and we'll look forward to, uh, to a chat in the near future. Thank you, Dr. Gunn. You have a good one. You too. Take care.